Tuesday, April 5th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hellen, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, from income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. Guys, good to see you as always. Thank you, Chris. Hey, Chris. We've got dividends on the rise and Pringles on the move, but we begin today with a shift in one of the big indices. NASDAQ announced a rebalancing of the NASDAQ 100 index next month that will reduce Apple's weighting in the index. As a result, index funds will have to sell some of their shares of Apple. Uh, Tim Hansen, I will start with you. Apple currently makes up about 20% of the index. The rebalancing is going to knock that down to about 12%. How significant is that for Apple's stock? Well, you know, it could see some selling pressure as all the index funds that track the NASDAQ 100 sell the stock in order to then match the index. But at the end of the day, this is this is really a non-event for a, a big, well-followed company like Apple. And, and the reason is, you know, if it falls a little bit, people who are bullish on Apple shares are probably going to jump in and, and buy the stock. Now, index deletions can be interesting, um, or index rebalancing or deletions can be interesting for sort of smaller, lesser-followed stocks. There was an interesting uh, event on the Chilean exchange recently where this asset management company called Provida was taken off the Chilean index, and the stock went down you know, 10 to 15% on that news mm-hmm. as all the Chilean index funds sold it, that's an opportunity, because that's a big drop for no reason. Bill, what do you think? You know, the thing I would say about this is a this is a stock story and not a business story, but it was a little bit shocking to me to hear that it's a 20% uh, component of, of an index, because the indices are, by their design, supposed to be diverse. The thing that I would say to Tim's point is not only do the index funds really track these indices, but most mutual funds are geared to something and they have benchmarks. And so you would be really shocked at how many mutual funds that aren't index driven Mm -hmm. hew very closely to their indices. So there'll be a lot more selling pressure, I think, uh, because because of this rebalancing then could just be explained by the index funds and the ETFs. James? And in case you're just out there wondering what this stuff is all about, the logistics here, indexes can be price-weighted, like the Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average. It actually anchors by the, the price of the stock, which is pretty bizarre. Oh, or that market makes, cap. That's never made sense never made, doesn't make sense at all. It's <laughs> so market cap-weighted, like the S&P 500. The NASDAQ 100 is a quasi-market cap-weighted index, meaning they'll, they'll rebalance. I, I read the rules here. If one company is 24% or more of the index, if the sum total of companies with individual weightings above 4.5% is greater than 48% of the entire index, or if the moon is in the Jupiter phase. So <laughs> it's sort of these arbitrary rules. Uh, I don't really know where they got it, but but they don't want it to be too big, but but they have these kind of strange cutoffs. So I, I can't quite figure it out. But, but to Bill's point, they do want to try to be diversified. So as a Microsoft shareholder, and I am, uh, I shouldn't get too excited that Microsoft is actually going to see its balance in the NASDAQ 100 increase as a result of this? Well, how many more, how many more copies of Windows 7 are going to be <laughs> sold because of this? I mean, ultimately... Uh, nine, things- Bill. Nine. The answer is nine. (laughs) That's meaningful, I guess. I have nothing further to add. Uh, All right. So let's just wrap up with this. What's your favorite index? It can be financial. It could be sports-related. Tim Hanson, I will start with you. Gosh, I'll I'll stall to give the other guys some time to think and say that from an investing standpoint, um, you know, the Vanguard Total Market Index, for me, from a utilitarian standpoint, is the way to go. You get everything. I like vanilla. <laughs> I love vanilla. Vanilla the vanilla, vanilla index? index? Is that an index? 
Um, yeah, you get everything for one low price, and if it, it, it's just a catch-all, and that's what indexes are, diversified catch-alls. So you might as well embrace it. Now, are you just saying nice things about Vanguard because you totally ripped Vanguard founder Jack Bogle on last Friday's special edition of Market Foolery? You know, uh, no, <laughs> but um, yes. I, I did. <laughs> no, but yes. No, I, I, it was funny that we did forward my comments about Jack Bogle, which on April Fool's Day said, you know what Jack Bogle's problem is? Jack Bogle can't beat the market. It's a fact. It was April Fool's it Day, It was April people. Fool's. We love Jack Bogle. We love indexing for But investors. it's also true. It's true. Well, the best jo- there's truth in every jest, right? Um, but we forwarded that link to Vanguard, and they didn't seem to get the joke. Yeah, they got I, pretty defensive I, about I, it. I got a response from Vanguard that, that didn't completely indicate to me that they got that it was— They're like, good luck with your— it was flavor of the day trading strategy, suckers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> James Early, favorite index? Uh, I like Tim. I don't have a strong passion here. I do like the fundamentally weighted indi- indices, the idea of, of anchoring not on price or, or market cap, but on uh, like a price to earnings or price to book or, or dividend uh, uh, factor. I think that's something we haven't had until recently. It's a good thing. Guys, come on. The Hemline Index. Mm. The Hemline Index. Is which one is this? So the hemline index basically says that hemlines in women's skirts rise and fall with the stock market. So if you've had a bull market, that the hemlines for women's skirts will rise. What's the reason for that? I don't know. It It doesn't matter what the reason is. You think if you had more money, you could afford afford more fabric. (laughs) Am I thinking about that incorrectly? You might be thinking about that incorrectly. (laughs) That's right. Volume. That's what we're looking for. (laughs) All right, moving on. Big companies increased their dividends by a record amount in the first quarter of 2011. Since January 1st, 117 companies in the S&P 500 said they would raise or start paying dividends. According to one analyst, the total value of these dividends amounts to $16.6 billion. James Early, how happy does this make you? Well, it's a little happy. Um, not not super well, happy. you're a dividend guy. Well, as with many things, dividends, this is not as sexy as it sounds. Don't pigeonhole him, Chris. Exactly. <laughs> for three reasons. Well, first of all, I'm too lazy to do any real research here. But if you looked at <laughs> dividends as a percentage of cash, I bet it wouldn't be as impressive. Companies are sitting on record amounts of cash. So, of course, they're going to start paying more dividends. The second thing, financial companies made up 42% of the increasers, according to, to the Associated Press. And then we also have the Obama tax extension from uh, the end of the past year which sort of bodes well, too, for increasing dividends. Uh, so, basically, it's, it's sort of like you could predict this. It's, it's not – I don't read any sort of big crystal ball forecast into this. Bill? I'll tell you the thing that was really being missed here is that companies have a record amount of cash and interest rates are at a rock bottom, so they are generating nothing on that cash. And it's at some point, it becomes a problem for them. They can't borrow at very low rates if they're sitting on all the cash. So, of course, they're going to be sending some of it back to shareholders. And for me, this is better than the alternative, which is yeah. going out and trying to buy something With crazy. Stocks at 52-week highs, too, better than a buyback, too, I would say. Yeah. And yet, Apple continues to just sit on all that cash. No dividend. What? what why well, is that? Well, Chris, if they... If they paid a dividend, then that would reduce their ability to completely overpay to acquire Facebook at some point. I mean, they got to keep up with the Joneses in that regard. You think that's the move. You, well, think- you know, you know, Google, Apple, Yahoo—they all need the cash. They all need the cash because they got to waste that cash. 
That's right. James, uh, for folks who are looking to get started uh, in dividend investing, what are a couple of stocks that should probably be on their radar? I think, Chris, I think a lot of the consumer staples companies are priced a little bit cheap right now. Companies like Kellogg's, like Procter & Gamble, like Clorox. Uh, these stocks haven't run up a lot. And frankly, I think utilities, too, like Dominion Resources could be a good bet if we see more rockiness going forward. Speaking of Procter & Gamble, Diamond Foods is buying the Pringles chips business from Procter & Gamble in a deal worth $1.5 billion. Diamond Foods is probably best known for its line of walnuts, almonds, etc. But, Bill Mann, Diamond also owns Pop Secret Popcorn, Kettle Chips. Uh, Wall, Street se- Wall Street seems to like this deal because Diamond stock's up about 7%. It's up a lot. Uh, Diamond... Diamond Foods uh, was private for years and years, and then they went public, and they've immediately started acquiring brands. I mean, so Procter & Gamble is getting out of the food business, and if you think about the brands that they've gotten rid of, I mean, for me, none of them are things that I'd really like to eat very much. Folgers you know, Coffee's not doing it for uh, you? It's kind of grim. Sunny Delight? It's a step up from Tang. Yeah. It does make sense economically, though, because Pringles has such a big distribution network, and, and, and now Diamond can tap into that. Um, although I, my, my grievance with them is it is probably the most the biggest waste of packaging by far in, in the snack food business. Instead of just a thin little bag, you have this thick cardboard tube just for these potato chips. It's just kind of silly. Look, I've got a bigger grievance than that. What's that? In Europe, there are two different types of bacon-flavored Pringles. I mean, why don't we have bacon-flavored Pringles here in the U.S.? Why aren't we seeing any of that action here? Uh, Bill, I, that's because the United States isn't known for our gross um, overconsumption yeah, of, we're, of yeah, snack our, foods. Especially <laughs> snack foods. Yeah, yeah but, but, look, but give us a shot. We can take it. <laughs> I mean, in, in, in Bill's defense, and in all seriousness, we are talking about bacon. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's bacon-flavored. I think all— Two whole, different kinds. There's bacon and smoky bacon. I mean, all So, it's bacon and fire. Bacon. James, you've never had a Pringles chip in your life, have you? That is correct. <laughs> then you are perfectly suited to wrap up with our Pringles quiz. Uh, let's start with, and this is multiple choice, guys, so, so don't be afraid. Oh, that'll make it way easier. Much yeah. easier. D. <laughs> uh, where did the Pringles name come from? A, a combination of the words potato and Kringle, as in Chris Kringle. B, Lester Pringle, an executive brand manager at Procter & Gamble. Or C, Pringle Drive in Finneytown, Ohio. Bill? Please, God, let there have been a man named Lester Pringle. <laughs> James? Going with A. I, I'm going to say Finneytown, Ohio. All, all sort of odd products come from Ohio. Exactly. It's from, uh, they looked in the Cincinnati yeah, but that was the worst book. one. Who cares if it's right? It was chosen for its pleasing sound. Uh, Some of us love accuracy, Bill. <laughs> Some of us are you. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Pringles are A, fried, B, baked, C, oven roasted. Bill, I, I'm going to have to go like with oven roasted, but I really think it was yeah. none of the above. Oven, oven roasted, fried. They're fried. Yeah, yeah. Tim Hansen, two for two. You can't, Pringle. If you, if chips are fried. It's just these aren't chips. They, Pringles aren't true. chips. Basic knowledge. And finally, the shape of a Pringles chip is mathematically known as a a concave polygon, b a hyperbolic paraboloid, or c. The shape is actually trademarked and is technically referred to as Pringle-shaped. Bill? I'm going to go with Pringle-shaped. James? Uh, tempting. Um, He's B. trying to calculate the hypotenuse. <laughs> B, whatever that was. B, the hyperbolic, B. Per, per, <laughs> hyperbolic paraboloid. 
Uh, I'm going to say it's also copyrighted or trademarked. It seems like something Procter & Gamble would do. Uh, James Early has oh. it. It's a hyperbolic oh. parabola. Victory for yes. mathematicians everywhere. But now I think that opens up the, the, the floodgates for uh, someone out there to invent something and, and try to patent it as Pringle shape. Sure. I'm on it. Bill Mann, James Hurley, Tim Hanson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you, Chris. Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Next time.